Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast all about Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host Baz Greenland, sadly without my co-host Jeff today, unfortunately uh, Jeff and his family had the tragic death of a family pet so Jeff isn't around, but it's not just me on my own for the next hour talking next gen, I do have a guest on this episode and I'm delighted to welcome Rob Turnbull, how are you Rob? Hello, I'm, I'm very good thank you, yes. Uh, I think as we've we've discussed, as we record this, it's now miserable and drizzly and I'm just looking out the window and I can see my snowmen melting away. But other than that, everything's cheery. Uh, excellent. We, we've known each other for a few years now through our various writing and podcast endeavours, haven't we? But uh, I think um, I'm, I might be thinking, going back to our days of Digital Fix as well, that you're quite a big fan of TNG too. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. In, in, a, in a big, big way. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Excellent, brilliant. So what we'll do then is before we kind of get into the topic of this, this episode, then I'll ask you a few questions about your TNG fandom then. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Right. Brilliant. So, so Rob, so um, first question, what is your favourite episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? Um, I mean, I don't know if this is a sort of a cliche answer, but I don't I don't have a favourite. And I, you know, it's like, not not to be disingenuous about the question, but I think that like for me, one of the wonderful things about next generation is that that the episodes are so diverse and so it's Mm. really difficult to say like this is my favorite episode because it's like well is it my favorite picard episode or is it my favorite funny episode or is it my favorite q episode and then even within q episodes it's like well what's the best q episode what's the funniest q episode like even even within that parameter it's like Mm. they're so different they're so different so i don't really have a favorite episode i have i have some favorites i probably have like a top 10 and there's maybe a few episodes that will always be in that top 10 so you know again i know it's an obvious one but stuff like the inner light um tapestry i adore tapestry it's a great one we talked about on our q episode last year it's a really really good episode yeah it's so good because it's like it uses q so brilliantly there's like there's a Mm. there's a subtlety to it and you don't see it coming because q is not in the title and they'd already done a a sort of a goofy q episode earlier in the series so it's like in that in that particular season um what are I mean, there's like, um, I've written a few down. Oh, Fistful of Datas, like for for silly episodes. I love that episode because it's, it's silly. Yeah. It's silly. It's like, and it's a classic, you know, don't go into the holodeck episode. Chain of Command Part 2. This is the thing. It's like, mm. you know, a lot of my top episodes are going to be most people's top episodes. Um, yeah. But I can't, I can't pin it down because they're so, it's such a diverse show. So I just, I just love it. I just love it. It, it really is. I mean, where does it rank among kind of all the other Star Trek series then for you? Is it number one? Oh, it, it's easily number one. I mean, I, I, from childhood, I was a huge Star Trek fan. And I remember sitting down and watching this, however old I was when it came out over here. I was maybe like nine, 
by the time it came out over here. And I was very kind of like, oh, it's not it's not Kirk and that ship looks a bit funny. And, you know, and then Riker <laughs> bursts onto the screen. and like, well, he's just trying to be Kirk, isn't he? Uh, so I was like a massive, massive Star Trek fan from from the original series and from the movies, even before this came out. But it, it for me, in so many ways, it's it's almost like this show became what the show in the 60s couldn't be because it was the 60s. Yeah. And while some of the subsequent shows are able, you know, they're able to explore things a little bit more and they're able to 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 challenge more, you know, sort of like contemporary ideals that that it would have been nice to see challenged in, in the sort of late 80s and early 90s. This is just for me, it's the it's the pinnacle. It's 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 the peak. It's the most Star Trekky Star Trek that there is. Uh, and as much as I love almost all the other shows, almost all the other shows, yeah. they all pale in comparison to this one for me, even even my beloved Kirk. Oh, well, I think you hit it down on the head. I mean, for me, I mean, Jeff and I kind of laugh about this because we do a TNG podcast. We probably both feel that DS9 is slightly better, but I'm with you 100%. The more reason I love talking, doing this podcast is because... Yeah, TNG is the most Star Trek Star Trek show there is. Absolutely, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just anyway. It took what the usual series could do. DS9 has its own flavors, very different. Voyager feels like a bit like a, there's some good stuff in there, but it's also a bit of a kind of a copy really of TNG. The newer stuff do their own thing, and that's all great. But if you want to, if you want, if I was to sort of show someone what is Star Trek, it's TNG to a to a T. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree with you there. And it's like. You know, not not to get bogged down in in it, or you know, to go off on a tangent. I'm I'm less of a fan of of DS9. I you know I, I find it more flawed than than a lot of people do, um, and I'm maybe Fair more enough. of a fan of Voyager, at least the sort of the back the back few seasons of Voyager, which maybe you know maybe harks back to sort of what what it is that I'm looking for from mm. from a Star Trek series, perhaps. Although you know my sort of like my pros and cons with both those series are diverse and that's for another conversation and i think it's why with you know with the modern shows i you know i am not a fan of discovery um but i have really grown to now love lower decks and i am flying the flag for prodigy which is actually quite a quite a beautiful continuation of of the sort of the the voyager journey almost um Mm. it feels very akin to that so yeah, I think this is. I think you're absolutely right. We're basically agreeing with each other here. This is yes. the, this is the Star <laughs> Trekiest Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's, that, 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 that's, that's the, uh, the the uh, word for this episode. Brilliant. And what about the TNG movies? Are you a fan of the uh, TNG movies as well compared to the Kirk ones? Yeah, so I I am, um, but with the, you know the massive caveat, I, I don't think I'm going to say anything you know controversial here. I I love all Star Trek barring a couple of, of things yeah. the the kirk movies i think are fantastic i think there's a sort of a you know there's there's the kirk tv show which was brilliant and trailblazing the kirk movies which i think are across the board really good i know people like to you know poo poo number five and yawn at number one but actually i think all those films have a lot of merit to them um mm. the, the tng movies unfortunately they don't the, the quality is not there or the or the the coherence is not there so i do like all of them i even kind of like nemesis to a degree Mm. just because i enjoy watching those characters and although it is just the wrath of khan again 
Um, yes. I always lament the fact that I, I genuinely think that had, you know, had Jonathan Frakes directed that movie, I think we would have had, you know, one of the strongest. I think we would have had, uh, you know, I think that would have been the undiscovered country to First Contact's Wrath of Khan had Jonathan Frakes yeah. directed it. Instead, it was just a little bit of a mess that kind of like put the kibosh on on movies for a while. But but I still I still love all of those movies, even though they never quite apart from First Contact, they never quite live up to the series. Yeah, no, I think you're right there, definitely. But uh, do you have a favourite character on TNG? Well, without without sort of re- repeating the sort of the the mantra of of the episodes. Yeah, sort of. It's like, like <laughs> it basically Picard, and you know, Picard mm. is my sort of my favorite character. But again, the the characters are so diverse; they all give you different things, and it's like, I completely understand why why for some people it's very easy to say, "Oh, Data is my favorite, Worf mm. is my favorite," because I think you know, a lot of the characters you can see your, you know, especially if you know you see yourself as someone who's sort of like bright and quiet or was bad at socializing mm. or for whatever reason you might look at data and think i i get it or if you're someone who's kind of like stoic and but feels kind of like suppressed by his colleagues that you're gonna look <laughs> at wharf or even just somebody who's yeah. like good at their job but bad in in you know in 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 love then you're gonna look at geordie and i think there's there, there's there's lots of potential for people to see themselves in the characters but one of the things i love about picard which is why i would definitely say he is my favorite character is because in picard i see the potential to be our best and i think that's and and picard brought this whole especially for the time that that show first came out this whole amazing new interpretation of of masculinity the the kind mm. of you know we talk about you know like you know new age men and this kind of thing was very trendy at kind of like you know the beginning of the 90s and stuff this 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 idea of like new new age men but picard really is this kind of like compassionate sensitive intelligent masculine figure he is kind of like he's almost like the the perfect father because it's like there's there's no there's no anger or ego really in his character. Everything is is a sort of a sort of like compassionate strength about him, and that's what I really like because I think so much of Picard really represents the sort of the Star Trek ideal of being the best of ourselves, being the best that we can, and and you know and the other characters you know for the service of the story and for the you know diversity of character some of the other characters fail at that at times or they they question it or they don't always come at the right point but it's like Picard almost always is is striving and is achieving that that concept of being the best that we can and the fact that being the best that we can is not always easy it is not always comfortable but we we must strive to do that and I I love that that's what I love about Star Trek and I love that the fact that it's embodied in Picard. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think he's a much more real captain, if that makes sense. Mm. Kirk, Kirk was Kirk was wonderful, but Kirk was this kind of action hero um, with bags of charm. And whereas Picard, ha- Picard can be the action hero, he can have that charm, but he's that he's he's got that ground that depth to him as well, which which was wonderful to see. And and he, yeah, he's he's a captain you always wanted on 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 to command the ship. Absolutely, yeah, it's that it's that thing. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating. I think that Kirk, the, the the Kirk that you've described is is that's absolutely the TV Kirk, 
Whereas mm. the, the Kirk in the movies, I think, was actually leaning a bit more toward, you know, there's so much yeah, about definitely. age. Whereas, ironically, Picard Kirk, once he hits the movie, he, does. Picard he goes the other way. Picard comes yeah. TV Kirk, yeah, exactly. absolutely. But, but of course, you know, the, the, the best of those films, arguably, not much of an argument, which is First Contact. I think that Picard has a lovely balance of what we think mm. of as TV Picard and we think of as, you know, action movie Picard. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. It's like he is the captain. If you're saying, you know, who do you want to captain the Enterprise when you're working on it? It's like, of course, it's Picard. Of yeah. course, Kirk would be fun, but he's going to get you killed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> OK, so let's, let's look at what today's episode is about then. So today we are talking Professor Moriarty. Daniel Davis, he played the holographic Moriarty in two episodes of TNG. Season two's elementary data, and then again in season six is ship in a bottle. But the uh, the real reason we decided to talk about Moriarty today is because we surprised returning the trailer for the upcoming third season of Star Trek Picard. I think I think Wait, it's fair what? to say I've not watched that trailer. Oh, so, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, okay, well, that's good because Moriarty is in the Picard season three trailer. <laughs> no, I'm but joking, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> as that's good because um, I've, I've got to say I think I think it's fair to say of all the list of potential returning TNG characters in Picard I don't think Moriarty was on that list I don't think he was on anyone's expected list but I'm not going to lie uh, that I was just like fuck yeah it's like <laughs> I was so that, that like really that was for me that was amazing I, I loved that and obviously mm. we're going to discuss the characters and I'll get into that but honestly that that blew me away that actually made me really excited yeah, I think in some ways it was it was more exciting than law. As much as yeah, I'm all for law as well, mm. and we are going to talk about law in our next episode of Beyond Farpoint as well. But um, yeah, it's it was like how is Moriarty in Picard? It, you know, completely you know, it all blew us away of all the things we expected in the trailer. If you had had a list of a hundred things on your bingo tick off list, it, <laughs> Moriarty would probably not have been on there. But it's great, I love it, and, and I'm really excited to see. You know, it could it could be a two second cameo, it could be more, who knows? But it, it's um it's great that he's there, and obviously it's a it's a really good excuse to uh, talk about his Moriarty episodes because they're actually really good episodes of TNG. They're great episodes, yeah. Yeah. So before we get on to it, then um, we talk about Picard. What are your thoughts on the first two seasons? We've obviously, we've covered both of them on Beyond Farpoint already. But uh, what are your thoughts on the Star Trek Picard? I mean, again, I don't want I don't want to waffle. I don't want to bore people with this. I'm I'm actually kind of a fan. I'm sort of, uh, but I'm, when I say I'm kind of a fan, sort of like an as in I'm okay with where we are at the moment sort of fan. Mm. I watched I watched the first season and I thought it was fine and a big reason of that for me was the fact that it got to the the end of, and my mindset throughout that whole first season was like I want this to be better than the last time I saw the characters or the last moment I see the characters mm. I want to be better than the last time I saw them because Nemesis ends on it's sort of a cliffhanger but a bit of a weird muddle and then we never get the what sounded like an incredible sort of legacy movie that we would have got with all the mm. characters coming back because we never really got that it was a real sort of like downer. It was a real kind of like rough ending. And I was kind of like, okay, if this is the last time I ever see the characters, I'm okay with that. Picard, being Picard, Riker coming to the rescue, um, Data having, you know, a sort of a, 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 a beautiful death moment, you know, it's all really clunky and shonky and the whole thing feels like it needed a massive rewrite. But yeah. I didn't, I didn't hate it. I could see... 
there were there were the sort of the the roots of something decent in there. I, I felt like you know you just needed to move some of the characters around and cut a couple of episodes out, and there was there was something there in the first season. Um, second season, I actually kind of liked most of it for the most part. Um, started really really strong. Um, yeah, it did. It was. I mean, it was a talk about a soft reboot. It's like almost the opening. You know, few scenes were like this is a statement of intent. Yeah. And uh, it was it, it was really nice to see that. I think it's um, Terry Metalis who who was um, who's doing the third season as showrunner. I think he was basically heavily involved in the first few episodes. He was, yeah. And then he had to yeah. shift away to go and concentrate on the third season because of COVID and all this kind of stuff. And weirdly, I think it kind of shows because there is a sudden sort of shift where it becomes really yeah. listless in the middle. But because I enjoyed the episodes that he was across so much and I enjoyed kind of where I felt those were going, I'm actually really enthusiastic about the third season. Yeah. And yeah, like I say, I kind of enjoyed most of what was happening in the second season. And because outside of the animated shows, I'm so um, done with the other live shows. I mean, I didn't I, I couldn't even watch the, the most recent series of Discovery. Uh, it's the first time I've ever not watched a Star Trek okay. product, um, and I don't like the you know I don't like the Kelvin movies either. So, for me, you know, to see any live action Star Trek that even, even kind of like gripped on just a little bit to what I loved about it and the characters that I loved about it, that that was kind of enough for me. And I know that's it sounds a bit defeatist to say it was kind of enough, but it was kind of enough. But I did like it more than kind of enough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was that's fine enough. I, I mean, who would have thought the animated ones would be the ones that we would we would love so much? I mean, I, I adore Strange New Worlds. I think Strange New Worlds is wonderful and it's very Star Trekky. But yeah, the things like Lower Decks and and, and you're right, Prodigy. For oh, it's a kid show. Would he give it a go? Where Star Trek fans would look, give it a go, and I'm I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, I, it's great. I'm, so I'm loving it. I think there's a weird irony. I think that especially with Lower Decks, I think because they're animated shows, it's almost like they've been given free reign to be goofy and especially because because lower decks mm. is comedy and initially started out very comedy and i think because they're able to be goofy they're actually able to be earnest in that way that mm. the modern star trek shows are maybe a little bit scared of uh, and yeah. i think that it's allowed them to like really key into what because star trek is goofy and mm. it has to be goofy to be earnest and that's what we love about it and the modern shows even strange new worlds which i i kind of like but i'm not on board as much as everyone else is i still think it's i still feel some of the the, the pushback of of the kind of production team behind it that, that i feel on discovery uh, and i'm hoping it'll get a bit goofier <laughs> um as, as it goes along but yeah i think it's fascinating that the animated shows perhaps because maybe being comedy and being kids they've been taken less seriously have actually been allowed to be more honestly star trek yeah, I think it's fair. It's fair. Okay, but let, let's 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 get, yes, let's sorry, get on yes, track yes, then, yes, and yes, let, let's talk Moriarty. I'm asking the questions as well. It's fine. We can talk about Star Trek. We can talk for hours, but we're here to talk about Moriarty. So let's do a bit of a deep dive into both of his TNG episodes, starting with Elementary Dear Data. In the year in which we live, humans have discovered that energy and matter are interchangeable. In the holodeck, energy is converted into matter. Thus, you have substance, but only here. And if I step off this holodeck? Then, Professor, you will cease to exist. You are not alive. As I said before, you are only a holographic image, I know. 
But are you sure? Oh, yes. Does he have life? He's a machine. But is that all he is? No, he is more. Exactly. Is the definition of life cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am? Yes, that is one possible definition. It is the most important one. And for me, the only one that matters. This was the third episode of season two, written by Brian Allen Lane and directed by Rob Bowman. It aired in the US on the 5th of December, 88, and the 7th of April here in the UK. Uh, I have a date, I think it was 1992, I think, because it was really, really late here in the UK. In this episode, Geordie attempts to up the ante on Data's Sherlock Holmes holiday program and create an adversary that can outwit Data's homes. Arch Nemesis Moriarty, played by Davis, gains sentience and soon takes over the Enterprise. So... What are your thoughts on this episode, Germany? Uh, so I, I mostly um, love it, and, and the mostly is really down to some of the, um, the sort of the, the the sort of the season two kind of vibes. You know, there was there was mm. the show was still finding its feet a lot, um, and so I think the general things that maybe don't quite work or the things that aren't quite in place yet are only because of that. I think it's only because of. You know the show's not quite there yet, and there are a couple of weird. There are a couple of weird little things. It's you know it's, but but generally speaking, I really love this episode. It's really fun, and I actually really, which I'm sure we'll get onto. I really like the structure of it as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I was watching it again, and think I mean, you like season one was is it was it trying to just be a, a kind of a continuation of the feel look of the 60s star trek couldn't really find its own identity we've we've talked we've talked we've covered quite a few first season episodes actually on the show but it's it's a little bit clunky at times and um very stilted season two is when things improve we get some more mm. classics and then we get but time season three it's a star trek tng we all know and love but i i was watching it thinking this might be of 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 TNG, the first really, really good episode of TNG they've done at this point. I mean, there were anything like conspiracy maybe in season one, but there was there's very little in season one where I go, I love it. I like some stuff, mm. stuff I don't like, stuff I, I really do like. But I think in terms of what I would class as a great episode, I think for me this might be probably the first great episode. Not not amazing, as you said, there are those things, those kind of things which are trying to find its feet, but. I'm always surprised, given this is what early uh, third episode of season two, to how how good, how confident it feels as an episode as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I think that there's this is possibly the first episode that I would put into you know a, a, again maybe you know if I actually sat down and properly was writing a list, maybe it wouldn't make the top ten. But if I was no. doing like you know if I was doing like a, a list of just you know the best you know twenty great episodes. Um, I think it. This is the first episode that is worthy of consideration for that. Yeah. Um, like you say, there are a few sort of good episodes and good moments in the first season, um, but everyone knows, you know, Star Trek: The Next Generation really kind of kicks in in the third season. But it does start to, it starts to find itself in two. And and yeah, I, th- I don't yeah. think it's unfair to say that this is the point at which it really starts to find itself because it's it utilizes the holodeck so well. Um, mm. You know, because if as soon as someone you see someone in the holodeck, it's like, oh, what's going to go wrong? But this is a really fascinating going wrong as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting with this one. It's still in the very early days of TNG where I think the crew and the show is still amazed at what holodeck is. I I always feel like this is new tech for Star Trek. The way the characters talk about the holodeck, 
they're constantly amazed and they want the audience to be amazed. And, I, and I, sometimes when you watch an episode like the, the Dixon Hill stuff in season one, and you're thinking the wonder that they're. Sh- I'm, I'm not feeling the wonder they're feeling, but but a bit <laughs> maybe because I'm watching it out of time. And I've watched many hard deck episodes now, but yeah, I think this is very much a sense that this is new tech and. Um, uh, but I, this, is a, this is again, this is a good Hardwick episode as well. I think you're right there about the new because yeah, in the first couple of seasons, you really get the idea that this is this is brand new. This is maybe one of the only ships that has it. This is a big big deal. And there, I think you're right here. You actually feel it because Pulaski is kind of she's walking around basically going, "This is amazing." And they say to her, oh, "Have you not been on the holodeck before?" And she's like, "Well." nothing of this sophistication and i think that's mm. the idea that you know we saw it was only you know whatever it was you know 60 70 years earlier they would you know the kobayashi maru was a room with like a movie set um yeah and i like to imagine that you know there's there's a sort of a, a middle ground where there's been slightly shonky holler you know more akin to the kind of vr that we have to play with now um, yeah, but it, I, I really like that. That sells it more. The idea that she's going, well, obviously, I've not seen anything this sophisticated. And it's the first time. I mean, it is one of the some of the sort of flaws with the episode, uh, which do maybe leak into the into the sort of the sequel episode, because at this point they haven't really established the law of the holodeck, exactly what it is or how it works. And there is one big thing that really bugs me. Um which is the the drawing of the Enterprise. Yes. Which is which is a, a sort of a... It's not like a major... I'm not one of those kind of like fans who sits again, oh, um, well, actually, that's a plot hole and the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> because as a, as a kid watching it, um, my, my brain filled in the gaps. And I think that's an interest... I think writers back then were more comfortable leaving us to fill in the gaps. But sorry, without boring everyone, the, what I'm talking about is that there is a moment where Data is given a, a picture that Moriarty has drawn and it's how data is alerted to the fact that uh, that Moriarty knows her on the ship um and there are two issues with it one is that um he hands it to Geordie upside down <laughs> so that Geordie can then flip it over and it's the right way up for the camera yeah <laughs> which is just a silly moment but the other thing is he takes he takes this piece of paper off the holodeck yes and yes. in an episode which is all about the fact that you can't take matter off the holodeck it's a little bit but I, I again, I always just imagined that that food and small scale consumables, I always just assumed that the holodeck had a built in replicator because they often eat and drink on the holodeck. And I'm thinking and they, they often do. go in there to do art projects. You know, you know, Janeway's always in there painting with with Da Vinci. So in my brain, it never bothered me. It was always kind of like, well, of course, because, you know, and also Moriarty's taken control of the holodeck. Maybe he wants Picard to see this. So maybe he's asked the holodeck to generate a piece of actual paper. I don't think the the show writers gave it that much thought. And it is one of those weird things that the holodeck hasn't been established yet. No. But it's obviously got a built-in replicator. That's, you know, that's fine. It must be, yeah. That must it's, be exactly, it's obviously yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what do you think of those early scenes with Data and Geordie and um, Data kind of rushing through the Holmes mystery because he's got all his memory bank? Well, I, I, I love it. I, I, like I said, I, I really like the structure of this episode a lot. Um, and it does a lot of things, you know, we're talking about establishing the show and, it, you know, it's not quite where it is yet um, in terms of like, you know, as it moves on from maybe season three. Um, this episode really shows us the, the Geordie Data friendship. 
like yes. b- brilliantly, like so so well. It's 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 it really, and I think it's the first time that that you properly kind of go, these guys are best friends because mm. they're having so much fun, like so much fun to the point that Geordie then gets upset and annoyed because Data's just like, and it's really it's really nice. I love I love that whole idea that Data just goes in there and he's kind of like instantly it's like this is you know this is the murder and this is what he did and like strips yeah. away all the joy and the fun of it um and it even leads to to one of my favorite pulaski scenes actually so i'm you know i'm not a big fan of pulaski i think that she wasn't in the show long enough to really grow um she does grow throughout the season i think they they do pretty good work but early on in the show this is uh where are we yeah it's like was it second third episode isn't it third, third episode uh, third, yeah. yeah um yeah you know she's still very new to us and she's she's basically quite racist towards yes Data. very much so uh, but like in a really major way like it's like you question what she must be like with with other species you know we're taking data as a, as a species here and it was always a bugbear for me with Pulaski's. I think it is for for other people. Um, but she does kind of mellow towards him throughout the show. And, you know, there's a little bit of antagonism, you know, kind of helps the, the plot along. I kind of like the scene where she basically interrupts Geordie and Data's conversation after Data has just like whizzed through all the homes because he knows it all off by heart. And she basically says, well, no, you could, you know, it's, it's the catalyst for the whole episode. She says, you could never, you could never actually solve a real mystery. Um, and it's a really nice scene because she's being quite aggressive and quite condescending. Uh, but she's a little bit correct. But also yeah. Geordie is there sort of defending. He's sort of defending Data, but also slightly agreeing with her. So she's a little bit correct. And Geordie's kind of saying, yeah, that's that's my point. You know, Data, you already know it all. So you're not really playing the game. And then when Pulaski's kind of like, yeah, he could never, ever do it because he's a machine and machines aren't human. And, and Geordie's yeah, a bit... He doesn't understand the human condition. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And Geordie's a bit more kind of like, well, no, I think you're going a bit too far this time. I don't think I don't think you're right. And I just think it's a really nice scene of interplay. And, it is. And as much as Pulaski is, you know, is super racist towards Data, <laughs> I think she does have moments like that scene where her almost offensive antagonism towards him does allow him to grow does allow data because you know d- data grows as the series goes along and he grows because you know he is nurtured by the people around him his friends and his colleagues but sometimes he does need a little bit of you know sort of like left field antagonism to sort yeah. of challenge him in a different way so i i i love the whole yeah that sort of early scene and it's fun as well it's it's it is fun and it it doesn't really give any implication of where the story's going either no no and i think that's probably there because i think at this point tng still doing oh look it's a holodeck even yeah. even in the pre the pre-tart sequence of the episode is there on the holodeck there's nothing more exciting than that mm. and by kind of what we're used to by the time we get to end of like voyager it's quite tame in comparison there's no there's no hook there's no kind of cliff like, oh what's going to happen next but it's got that charm about it and um and yeah, I think I think I, I you know I love that. I think I think it's a really good episode for Diana Mulder's Pulaski. I'm really surprised actually when I was watching. Oh yeah, she's actually only a special guest character. She she's never in. She, her name is never in the title sequence. No, she yeah, that's it. She's never 
yeah. they never made it, which, which, which is interesting. And I, I'm assuming she's not in every episode. But um, but yeah, I think it's a really good episode for her and Geordie and Data. The three of them together get some really good stuff, as does Picard later on. So I think it really... It doesn't focus on a lot of the crew, but the ones it focuses on is really, really good. You probably kind of alluded already then. So the question that, that Jeff and I have debated before, are you a Pulaski or Crusher fan? No, so, I, I mean, this this has changed a lot as I have aged. I, I was actually never a massive fan of Crusher in the original run. Um, I always found her a little bit wet. And, and because I... D- desperately hideously disliked wesley right from the beginning so a lot of the interplay that she had with wesley um was sort of tainted by that and i also felt like she was a little bit uh like she was chasing picard a bit i mean this is this is you know like as a, as a kid i was watching i was like Ugh. so i was never a massive fan of crusher but i didn't really like polanski um uh, Pulaski because of the that sort of slightly aggressive racist antagonistic kind of approach that she had although i think both both Mm. actors are fantastic um as i've got older i i became far more of a crusher fan um and i i now really like beverly crusher a lot more and i i enjoy and appreciate pulaski a lot more I think at the time, I can't quite remember because, you know, it was on BBC Two in the early 90s and they they weren't out of order. But I feel yep, like they, I feel like they ran into each other. I feel like it was I didn't notice. I didn't feel like uh, it sort of felt like it was Crusher, 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 Crusher. And suddenly Crusher was on sabbatical. Um, Pulaski was in and then she went and Crusher was back. It felt it felt like yeah, a they, blip. They, yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's interesting because yeah, I, I would love to see Pulaski back um, doing doing something more. Because I, again, I, I think I think you're you're quite you're you almost feel like an outlier to the people I talk to. I think myself included. I've always been a big Crusher mm. fan, but the older I get, the more I kind of recognise that maybe at times you said, though Gaze McFadden was great, I found her character a little bit weak yeah. at times. Whereas Pulaski has gumption, and yeah. actually, though she's rude, I think. People tend to appreciate Pulaski more of age, so it's an interesting thing that kind of there's almost like a reappraisal of Pulaski these days, but still generally the recognition. I mean, probably rightly so because Crusher got so much more screen course, time. Yeah. Actually, Crusher's the better one, but yeah, I'd I'd be you know it'd be interesting to see what they could have done with Pulaski if 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 Gates McFarland hadn't come back, for mm. example, and it'd been Pulaski all the way through. That that would be quite interesting. And again, their dynamic with Data might have been interesting over the course of the. Uh, of the six seasons at that point as well. So the crux of the episode is the creation of this home-style mystery that can beat Data. What were your thoughts on Data's ability to learn and then Geordie's actions around that as well and the kind of the creation of Moriarty? So I really, again, I really like it. I like the fact that there's there's a very sort of friendly um, attempt. And again, it's like, it, you know, Pulaski maybe is wants to beat Data, but I feel like Geordie mm. very much wants to to engage Data and wants to he wants to have the most fun with his friend that he can. And the way to have good fun with his friend is to create something very challenging for him. Um, and I, I like the way that the mistake is is that kind of, you know, that sort of that one word of, like you know, make a, a an adversary capable of beating Data. And the computer goes, okie dokie then. And I love that because it's like... <laughs> It, it's really it, it's just really casually done it's like geordie's kind of excited they've come up with a really good idea you know they they wrote an original or they the computer wrote an original sort of home story but data was still able to nail it instantly because 
it's lifting from tropes. It's you know, it's like we as viewers, if we watch a new detective show, chances are we're going to know who the murderer is. You know, it's like I mean, I knew who the murderer was in Knives Out because it was the biggest star playing the smallest part. It's like we know these tropes. <laughs> we we can see it. So so the idea that Geordie's kind of like, wait, no, 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 let's do this differently. Let's let's ask them to 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 someone who can beat data. Perfect. And it's that lovely moment that, you know, later on, he kind of realizes that he's basically fucked up because they wanted to beat homes, not data. And data is this kind of like insane planet brained genius and the computer you've got a pretty good computer system and the computer's going all right then i'm going to mess with data and it's just i think it it really works particularly you know like i say the show hasn't quite found its rules about holodecks and holograms and i i think actually there's a lot of work you know with, with hindsight there's a lot of work done by this episode which absolutely feeds into, you know, so much that's done in, in Voyager and later, you know, ho- you know, hologram episodes. But no, I think it does. I think it I think it really works because it, at this point in the episode as well, it still all just feels like fun. Like there's no real yeah. there's no yeah. threat. Nobody nothing no threat has happened. No. There's no and we've had episodes up, you know, to this point as well where nothing bad is happening we've had episodes where things are just kind of like ticking along doing their own thing so it's quite nice at this point we're still sort of safe even at that point that geordie's like create you know create something that can beat data we're still very safe at this point and because holodeck episodes weren't quite the trope that they were in later star trek we don't necessarily think oh this is where it goes wrong we're just kind of like okay where are we going next yeah and obviously, Jordy's actions. Uh, there's, a, there's a flaw in the computer, isn't there? The fact they can create, I create a program that can actually take over the computer. But it hey, is. <laughs> it is. I'm pretty sure that they fixed that straight after this. It's like that was the number one. They must have done <laughs> number one thing to do. Yeah, but it is great. I think when, when Moriarty sees the arch, it's like that's quite cool. Oh, that whole and, that whole um, scene. I mean, he is brilliant. He's a fantastic. You know, mm. he's he's uh, one of the best guest stars that they've had. Um, you know, and and I would be lying if I said that his accent is perfect, but it's f- it's fine. You know, this is, I mean, this is a very kind of like American homes. Uh, you mm. know, it's like, I mean, well, yeah. Without digressing, one of my one of my biggest bugbears with date with data has always been the fact that he's very into acting, but he can't do an English accent. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's like, but he's data. He should be. <laughs> but that obviously that's just poor old Brent Spiner. But this is a very sort of American Holmes, but he's a he's a great I'd I would love to have seen a whole series which is just Data and Geordie having Holmes adventures with this Moriarty. You know, like a yeah, whole kind of like absolutely. side series. Um but he plays it so well and that yeah, that first scene, it is especially I remember watching it as a kid, it is actually really scary because he suddenly he basically breaks the fourth wall that is the holodeck. Um, yes and it's and the fact that you know even like there's the sort of the street walker who's with him it's kind of like it it terrifies the other characters of the holodeck and that's the thing that these other characters are not comfortable with and open to the concept of of the arch which i which i think shows really nicely it's like whereas whereas he is he's like he's okay with it um i think it's it's a it's a brilliant moment and it's so again it's all so subtly played Considering this is, is early Star Trek, which was a bit big and shouty, it's all so subtly played in this episode. Yeah, definitely. It's um, 
I mean, he's got, uh, he always acts up. He's better than the Lestrade. They kind of cop the old mucker kind of like the Lestrade oh, character know, in this episode. Which, so but, there are some cliches, absolutely some big cliches in the episode. So I, I, again, I, I think that I, lo- I love David's performance because it's so reserved. Mm. It's that kind of kind of that kind of British cold ruthlessness to him as That's well. It, but yeah. but he he's not he's not a maniacal kind of moustache twirling villain no. either. It's great. He, he he's it's a real kind of depth to him as well. So you are I I, I agree. I think I think he's um one of the shows. Uh, best guest stars I really like the uh, Moriarty scenes with Pulaski as well because again mm. again, Mulder's great and she plays off the scenes with, say, with Data and Geordie and Ten Ford are great the stuff with them on the holiday are great but I also like um, Moriarty basically feeding Pulaski crumpets yeah. and all the, the debate going on with them as well well that whole the whole stuff between those two as well it's a really nice thing because uh, in this and, and again I think you know when he comes back later um, despite Moriarty being, you know, Holmes's greatest villain, and Moriarty's kind of like, he he's like a, a a blueprint of, you know, it's it's a thing now to have Moriarty's, you know, characters have their Moriarty. The Doctor has the Master, mm. that's his Moriarty. You know, yeah. characters, it, he's he's the blueprint for like the ultimate, you know, sort of villain. Um, yet in this, he's less of a villain. He's an antagonist rather than a villain. There's something so compassionate about him and those scenes with Pulaski you do feel that 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 he could hurt her but he has no desire to hurt her all he actually wants is is to to live to exist which is a very Star Trek concept um and it it does I think it leads to some very nice um low-key sort of you know compassionate thoughtful acting scenes between those two because I I I think that um Mulder is probably a better actor than gates mcfadden who is not a bad actor but i think that she's i think she is a stronger actor overall and you know despite the sort of the variations of the character um she plays scenes like this so well she does yeah there's some really good stuff there so we obviously we obviously talked about the idea that uh the uh the drawing of of the uh Enterprise and uh, taking it off a hard deck and they're kind of all <laughs> we, we ignore that moment there's, there's some, really, I mean, some really good stuff the crux of the episode really comes down to Moriarty basically gaining sentience yeah. and finding a way to control uh, so so I mean it's I mean it's kind of the precursor to Vic Fontaine to the Doctor from Voyager as well it's great yeah, the fact that they're doing this really early on as well is always quite surprising the idea of I mean he, he goes the I, I think therefore I am except that repeats mm in the uh, sixth season episode as well but the idea that he actually is gaining sentence is really really interesting and i i love how that kind of comes again when he when he basically in basically demands an audience with captain picard again breaking out the full floor he's out the whole like he's you know he's he's aware of what's going on in the enterprise itself so i really like the um the scenes when Picard comes to the holodeck and kind of confronts Moriarty too. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know some people like really hate the idea that the computer can just make sentience. And and, and I get that. And they sort of, they, they, they address it in the second episode, which I know we'll get onto. Um, but I like it. I like the idea that this has happened by mistake. And I definitely feel like the story and the later story kind of imply that this is an anomaly. This is not a normal thing. Mm. You can't just go in and say, please make a sentient person. It doesn't quite work that way. They don't quite have that level of control. I like the idea that this is sort of an anomaly, but the 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 concept behind it, especially because this is new technology. You know, there are all these episodes of Star Trek that we don't see, like the day after. 
And you know that the day after this this adventure, Picard's on to the Admiralty saying like, okay, so basically we've discovered that the holodeck can accidentally make sentient people. And they go, oh shit, yes. right, we need to reprogram everything, <laughs> recall all the program. So it won't, it can't happen again. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Let's do that. That was a, yeah, you know, new technology, isn't it? New technology. We won't worry about it. So I'm, I'm happy with that. And weirdly, because it's so early in the show and the rules haven't quite been let, you know, set down, I think it, they get away with it. But it's just a brilliant concept. It's just a brilliant concept. Um, and also he's kind of burgeoning. It's like the fact that he's kind of like he's eager for information and he wants to know. Mm. And he like you say, it's the, you know, I think therefore I am. It's a very philosophical Star Trek question. And I think that the show wasn't like we keep saying the show wasn't at its peak yet. And I do think that if they'd done this same story a few seasons later, they would have, I do think they would have done it better. I think they would have uh, they would have looked at those concepts a lot more, which of course they kind of do in in the sequel episode. Um, and yeah. I think the sequel episode, without jumping ahead, makes up for a lot of the shortcomings of this story. So, so I would like to have seen them explore the how and the why and the who and the you know the what what makes life a little bit more, as they do in later Star Trek episodes with similar kind of themes. But I just really, I really like how they do it. It's like we keep saying there's a real gentle subtlety to this and yeah like calling picard into the the holodeck that shows you know when he starts referring to to data as data rather than homes it's like it's a real it's a real kind of like jump up that he's made in his mm. consciousness yeah i mean i i guess the whole thing suddenly he can take control of the enterprise therefore you know is that maybe a step too far because it, it, it ups the ante a little bit but i that's fun and maybe a little bit silly, but actually the crux of it is that debate over sentient life. I mean, that's what really makes the episode for me. And um, it, is, it is, it's a little bit sure that it comes quite late in the game, but I, I really like the idea that he says, you know, I am no longer a character. I'm alive and I'm aware, I'm, he's aware of his own consciousness. Mm. It's, it's, it's that kind of thing of what is life. He went his data life because it's computer. It's something they would actually examine a few episodes down the line in Measure for a Man, which is beloved by fans mm -hmm. everywhere because of what it's trying to do. And yet they're doing it here as well. It's really interesting. Again, surprising. You think about Measure of the Man as the first episode to really look at kind of what is life and, and, and sentient life and artificial life. But actually, they're doing this conversation here already three episodes into season two. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 they do it so many times, um, you know, later on in different ways, in different forms. Um and I, I do think, you know, I do think it's quite raw here. And I think that, like I say, later down the line, they probably would have focused on different elements in, in different ways. But I love the fact, like you say, that it's so early. It's like, you know, it's the second second seats, only a few episodes in. Um, and already they're looking at this concept of, you know, life, artificial life. What is life? When when does one become conscious and when does consciousness become, mm. um, you know, life in itself? And it's. I love that. I also love the, the 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 gentle way that he is. Well, subdued isn't really the word for it. I mean, I agree. I think that the taking control of the Enterprise um, is maybe a little bit of a sort of a, just a third act threat that they felt they needed to throw in there. It it would have been more. It would have been more satisfying or maybe more realistic if he'd basically just managed to, sort of like key punch a little bit and like lock them out of a few uh you know a few systems yeah. or, or, 
Yeah, I'll trap them on the hard deck, you know, so there's with no safety. You know, yeah, there's, there's yeah. enough there without being the whole shit. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. if he'd if he'd managed to sort of like tap in and was just causing things to go a bit haywire because he didn't know what he was doing, you know, accidentally turning off life support or sending, you know, shuttlecrafts out unmanned or something a bit sort of more chaotic, um, might have felt mm. a bit more realistic. But again, you know, it's season two; they're finding their feet. Days, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And who doesn't love a steampunk, you know, controller in the middle of a Victorian London shed? It's just like, oh, absolutely, yeah. I love that contraption. It's so it was great. silly, it was, it's it was brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. So, any other kind of final thoughts on this episode before we move on to the sequel? I mean, we've I kind of touched on it all. You know, that my my biggest sort of final, you know, final thought takeaway um, is that it. Um, it does some brilliant, brilliant things very early on. Like I say, the pacing of it, I love the fact that it's that so much of the episode is just Geordie and Data having fun. And then the threat is thrown in really quite late, um, which makes it more interesting and more sort of exciting. But no, I think I think my final thoughts are that it it's a good first step and that they, you know, they they could have dealt with some of the ideas better. Uh, but then, of course, they do in, in, in the sequel. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, move on to that one then. Who are you? Professor James Moriarty. Moriarty, oh, that's Sherlock Holmes's arch enemy. Are you left or right-handed? Left-handed. Would you mind very much telling me? No problem there. Where is Captain Picard? Is he still captain of this vessel? How would... How do you know the captain? You don't know anything about what happened, do you? I have been stored in memory for God knows how long and no one has given me a second thought. You know, you know what you are. A holodeck character, a fictional man. Yes, yes, I know all about your marvelous inventions. I was created as a plaything so that your commander Data could masquerade as Sherlock Holmes. But they made me too well, and I became more than a character in a story. I became self-aware. I am alive. That's not possible. But here I am. Moriarty returns in season six's ship in a bottle. This was uh, written by Rene Echevarria and directed by Alexander Singer. Aired in the US on the 23rd of January 93 and September 27th of 1995 here in the UK. In this episode, Barclay accidentally awakens a sentient Moriarty program, and this time he's not willing to stay on the holodeck. So, you probably touched upon it already, but what are your general thoughts on this episode? Yeah, I mean, I I love this episode, and I think it is, I think it's an, an improvement on on the first Moriarty episode, but again, also a, a compliment of it. I think it basically takes all the things in that first episode that I was like, oh, I'd I'd like to see them discussing the morality of his existence a little bit more, or I'd like to see them actually trying to figure out if they can take him out of the holodeck a bit more. All those kind of things that I wanted to see in that first episode, they basically do here. And I think watch, you know, I, mm. for this, I sat down and watched the two episodes back to back and they work so well, like one straight they up. They do. The, like genuinely they do. Um, because these are both, you know, I these are both on my sort of like my casual rewatch. There are there are a few episodes of Star Trek that if I'm it's late at night, I want to get to sleep, or I'm pottering around on my laptop. There are a few that I'll stick on, like comfort food, 
Um, and yeah. these are both one of them, but I haven't watched them back to back like this poss- possibly ever. No, I haven't. Yeah. I, I watch it day apart, and they they work so well as a sequel. Um, really, I mean, Ship in a Bot was an interesting one because I've watched TNG all the way through a few times. I did um, when it came on HD back on the Sci Fi Channel in the UK a few years ago. I did the whole we watched the entire thing at that point. So I have seen Ship in the Bottle probably at least three, four, maybe five times in my life, and yet. I I completely I knew that he came back and I I had no recollection of anything about this episode at all, <laughs> which is great. But not because it's bad, because actually it was really good, and I was surprised at how much I really loved this episode. Mm. Uh, of you said all those ideas that they they were they were tinkering away with in the, in the second season, but it's too early in TNG to really give them the uh, the attention that maybe they should have done. Yeah, and that later TNG would have done. They do it here; it's great. So yeah, I was really surprised that I thought, oh, okay, you know. He's going to take over, uh, take over the uh, Enterprise. One thing I've been doing is I, I got the Blu-ray box set for Christmas, so I've been watching it with the. Have you seen the uh, the advert, the ad for the trailers oh, for God, the episode? I've seen some of these. Um, yes. Yeah, and it's now my thing when I watch a TNG episode. Now I watch the trailer beforehand because <laughs> I've seen them before, and they are so cheesy. When Moriarty returns and takes over the Enterprise, dun, 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 and you think it's going to be like that, and actually it's so much more than that. So yeah, I am. Um, no, I was really surprised how how good this episode is. Definitely, but it's season six. I think season six is probably my favourite season of TNG. I think there are just so many big heavy hitters in this season, uh, and um, and this is definitely one up there. Definitely. Oh yeah, I think it it it's a really good follow up because it doesn't like you say. You imagine it. You know, it might be or not exactly Wrath of Carney, but you imagine it's like oh he's back and he's he's annoyed and stuff. But yeah. his plan is so subtle and it, you know what it like data should have figured it out a bit sooner but yeah. but there are certain you know there are certain suspension of disbelief that you have to go with in star trek the biggest flaw of star trek is that these people should never for half of the things that they get confused by should not confuse them but that's the na- yeah. it's a tv show that's the nature of it um data should have figured it out a bit earlier but it's still a brilliant conceit like the the concept of what he does it's such a great um plan you know what i love about it actually is the fact that he's not actually out for revenge he it, it, he is motivated by love all he wants to mm. do is to try and somehow f- create the same level of of um intellectual and and, and uh, sentient freedom for the person that he loves as he has found for himself and that's brilliant it's not about he doesn't yeah. have any He's not vindictive towards the captain. He doesn't have any kind of like he doesn't want to destroy anyone. He just wants to live and and love. It's that it's a it's a wonderful motivation, really. Mm. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, again, Davis is great in this episode again, um, as so he's with the other one as well. So, what, what did you think? Obviously, you, we start the episode with Julian Data playing Watson Holmes. It's literally like a rehash of the uh, beginning of the of the first episode, but in a good way. And then we get uh, the kind of the glitch in the program, and then. Barclay runs diagnostic and wakes up Moriarty. What do you think of their interaction and the the idea that Moriarty had kind of been sentient for the last four years while still stuck in that program? So I love I love the opening scene. I love the idea that that post the first episode they've kind of found they've obviously found some way to make the Holmes stories work and they're having great fun. I I enjoy Geordie's James Mason voice again. Um, yeah, and and the glitch in the program, which is basically. Chekhov's left hand at this point it's like it's a really nice yeah. little um becomes a callback later i love it because it's it's really setting up that kind of i love the domesticity um that tng offers 
and it's like yeah. there's two two guys that it's on the, the time off they're having fun and then something goes wrong and they're like oh oh it's gone wrong mm. i really like the use of barkley in this episode um yeah. because barkley he's such a great character uh, and i think across the board this series has always used him the franchise has always used him well that you mm. there's not you don't get too much Barclay. And every time you see him, there's a progression of character. There's a development of character. I think he's one of the most fascinating characters in Star Trek. And here Because he's flawed, he's human, isn't yeah, he? Exactly. He's, he's human and he, and he actually he's not as I think I, we talked about I did an episode on um mental health struggles on TNG last year, very on the one of the podcast, and we talked a lot about Barclay. And Barclay is a character that is allowed to be human. The one thing you could probably the one issue that I think some of the people find with TNG, and maybe that's why some people call like characters of DS9 more, is that they can always be a little bit sterile or too perfect. Mm. Because they, they are the, but they are the best of the best of Starfleet, so that's kind of how they of get course, away with them yeah. all being. But, but the, yeah, it's really with Jordan, his love life, for example. There are flaws, certainly. But Barclay is real. Barclay is someone who's, who suffers with social anxiety. Suffers, you know, he... It, it, it's it's he works in it over the course of the series. He you know his his situation improves, but he's very human. He is he's suffering with something that he has to work through on his daily life. So yeah, he he's always great to watch because he he's not a sterile perfect human like a lot of the uh, kind of certain other support characters of TNG can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there was a uh, you know I'm like I say I'm not a fan of Wesley Crusher, but I think that Wesley Crusher you can see he was very deliberately designed to be a a siphon character for the audience you know this mm. idea that you know oh can like you know young kids you know can watch it and they can kind of um and i think that that had varying success varying results yeah. you know um but i think that barclay may be by accident or design but he actually is a far more appropriate kind of like siphon for the audience because you know yeah you know i i didn't have the same kind of social anxiety perhaps that that he does as a character but growing up as a teenager i was like he feels more real to me it's like picard is who yeah. i want to be but barclay maybe is closer to who i am at at this point you know like in my my pre-teens um he's a brilliant character and to see him especially because this is kind of like i think it's a fairly significant holodeck episode it's a sequel it's a sequel to as we've said probably the first best holodeck episode one of the first really great episodes of the show um, and to have barclay whose whose character is so intertwined with with the holodeck and holograms and again it's it's hindsight but you look at where he goes um in voyager he basically becomes yeah. a, a sort of a hologram expert um so to have him involved in in this story was just really nice and he doesn't he he's he's used so well he's not overbearingly in it it's not a barclay story um, no it's not and it, yeah he's not he's not all those struggles he has aren't really prevalent in the episode he's just really. a, he's a, he's a dietitian yeah. and he's there he's got experience and they, and they use him and it's great and it's really nice because at this point you know we've had a couple of the episodes where we've seen him you know he's a complete mess and then he's sort of getting better and then here he's basically doing his job pretty well and and is liked and relied on and it's a really nice mm. little progression i also really like his slightly awkward politeness with the holograms um, yeah like when when moriarty first turns up he's he's not dismissive of him but he's kind of like ah, that's a bit a bit weird in the same way that you might do if you're playing mario kart and and you know luigi pops up instead of mario you're kind of like oh what's going on there 
so I, I love his his use in this story. It just it just sort of feels right to have him along for the ride. Yeah, definitely. So what about the scene then? We've obviously Moriarty says, you know, I'm here. I've been sentient. I've been sentient for the last four years, periodically, which is almost quite disturbing. The idea that he's been trapped but sentient as well. And then obviously you get the scene when he basically again summons Picard to really fulfil his promise. So you've got Barclay, Data, and Picard on the holiday with Moriarty. What do you think of of this scene then when when Moriarty confronts Picard? Well, I've always I've always been torn on the idea that he was conscious. Although mm. again, I love the fact I love the way that that um, Barclay kind of says, you know, oh, it may have been a, I forget the, the terminology, but he says it might have been a sort of a little, you know, periodic kind of like glitch in the programming. Uh, and mm. Moriarty's like, well, whatever you call it, for me, it was consciousness. So it's like that. I think they kind of get away with that. I was never I could never decide whether he was lying. You know, I, I've yeah. been conscious this whole time. It's like. Were you really? But then again, his plan also feels like he has been planning. Like, I don't think he like he pro- and the fact that he is able to stay on once he's been activated. You know, Barclay kind of deactivates him, but then he pops back again. So I do think that to some extent he has been existing independently, consciously in the computer, mm. unable to free himself but able to perhaps integrate himself into the into the matrices and you know and and perhaps has been planning this for a good long time so it's really it's really in, his return is really interesting and i do feel like the you know there was some some planning or plotting was going on there um and yet again like bringing picard in it's really nice because you know picard has that compassion he, you know he's he's talking to him you know as one individual to another you know he talks about the fact that we tried we can't you know it's just not it's not doable it's impossible um Mm. and moriarty is kind of like the sort of the the feeling like he was abandoned feeling like picard lied to him we know picard doesn't lie we know that picard did everything that he could to to make this well i i don't know i can't i i never quite you could read it as yeah they did everything or because you never saw he's placating him because that like, well, we've got him, we're stuck now. I don't know. I've always felt that he did everything, but everything was like you know, like Geordie and, and Data got an afternoon on it. I don't think everything was like yeah, you know, yeah. I yeah, don't think he was... was going to the admiral, to, you know, going to Starfleet, saying we must give him censure. I don't think he was doing that. But I think everything was probably like it was a bit of a side project. Yeah, uh, you know, data when you got time, yeah, tinker exactly, around on that point, exactly. yeah. Because I think that, <laughs> but 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 don't tell Barclay because apparently Barclay didn't know about Moriarty at all. So the fact that he's a bit of a security risk. It's that's that's it. Well, it's Picard was like, it's like, oh, this is just Geordie. You just do a little bit on the side. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Um, but I think that yeah, I think the kind of the everything that we could do was so little that they probably did do everything they could do, and they basically had a meeting and said we can't do anything. Um, yeah. But no, it's a really, it's a really nice, and again, it's the kind of like pulling Picard into the trap. It's like it's a very clever, deliberate. Um, mm. You know, I, I love the sort of the trap element of the story. Oh, definitely, yeah, which we'll get onto as a good twist. But obviously, the first kind of big twist of the episode, obviously, apart from my artist, what can return is the fact that he he goes, I think, therefore, I am, and he walks off the holodeck. What do you think of that twist at that stage? I this is a really difficult one for me because um i try to sometimes remember what i thought of that at the time mm. because because obviously there had been this sort of the dixon hill thing where where the holograms walk off and they sort of fade away um you know as they sort of move away from the door um i can't 
it, it, it's really difficult because watching it now, it's like, I know, I know why he's walked off. Yeah. I can't remember how I reacted to it when I was, a, when I was a teenager, whether I was kind of like, Hmm, something's not right here. I, I have a feeling that I thought something wasn't right. Um, I, I don't, I don't ever remember watching it and going, oh my God, how is it doing that? I don't think I ever had that moment. I have no memory of it. But I also don't, I don't think I was like sixth sensing it and going, oh, he's dead. Um, I, yeah. I, I think I was like, oh, so something's not right here. What's he done? What has he done? It's yeah. Like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not him. Maybe it's an alien or something. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, as, as I said, when I, when I rewatched this um, a couple of days ago, I, hadn't watched it for a while and I'd forgotten I f- I f- right, I'd yeah. forgotten the big twist which is great so when it happened I'm like you something's not right here but there's no way he could have possibly walked off I know he hasn't got that 30, 31st century horror yeah. myth thing whatever, <laughs> whatever the doctor has in from season 3 of Voyage onwards he doesn't have this kind of horror myth thing he can't leave the uh, the horror there were no horror, horror emitters in the corridor yeah. so therefore it can't be real but he has I don't understand why so it's an inter- it, yeah yeah it's probably alien a- aliens taking the form of Moriarty and doing that that's the kind of the classic thing aliens, isn't it yeah. so but I, I think I think it does lead to some re- again as you said some really interesting discussions around the moral and ethical discussions around sentient life you know mm. I mean Troy Troy there's an advocate of you know well he's saying that he wants sentient life so you know we we have to consider we have to listen to mm. this as well. And they, they should consider his request. Whereas you got, I was like, Worf just going, yeah, just put him back in the hard yeah. dangerous kind <laughs> just of thing. Turn it so, because Worf, Worf, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it yeah. now. <laughs> Worf does, but um, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's, I think that, again, some really interesting discussions. Yeah, the whole thing of Crusher scanning Moriarty and him being real. You're thinking that can't be real, but how has that happened? And the, but there's the there's a nice sort of throwaway where she's like, he's basically human DNA, but yeah, bit, she's like, he's a little bit weird. It's like that's just enough to make you go, ooh, what is it? Or yeah, it but it's interesting, and I think, um, as you said, the idea that he wants to bring his one true love, the Callus Bartholomew, off a holodeck with him. I mean. You touched upon it, the idea that he's doing this for love. Again, he's not... I mean, he talks about letting... You know, he was a character. I was a character. I was written as a villain. I'm no longer going to be a villain. And, you know, he chooses to be... You yes. know, he, he's moved beyond the beyond the character on the page. He's now he's now his own self. And so he's agreed to move on that. And with that, he finds love. So I, I like the idea that really... There's nothing nefarious about Moriarty, really. He's somehow... He's walked off a hard deck. He's gained sentient life, and he wants mm. his one true love to be sentient with him. That's all he wants. So it's it's um it's again an interesting dilemma because we've now had obviously the previous episode episodes like Measure of a Man as well. You know what does it mean to be hu- to be human to have life to be to be sentient? So um, I like how there isn't he isn't really a villain as such in the episode, even even though obviously they they play they're going to control tra- 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 the Enterprise again because they've got they've got to play that gimmick because they want to. Up the stakes, don't yeah, they? With the with the uh, very very cool subplot there of the um, exploding. Uh, I'm not sure it's scientific Africa. Two gas giants crashing each other and create a star. You know I don't know. Is, is that? Yeah, this it's one of the things I actually quite like yeah. about it because I realised watching it again, it's like the uh, you know in the main body of it when you know before they know what's truly going on, um, trying to sort out Moriarty and give Moriarty what he wants and and get control of the ship back. It's more of an annoyance because they want to go and watch this star yeah. happen. It's like they, they're on a deadline. They've got a schedule. 
And I feel like it's like you're saying, he's not really a villain. He's he's he is an antagonist. And I feel like basically if they didn't have something else to do, it might have taken them a couple mm. of days longer to sort it out. It's like, but I quite like that about it, that it's not like, a, oh, my God, we're all going to die. It's like, oh, well, we sort of have to get, you know, we have to, you know, we could be in danger if we're here, but it's just we want to watch these planets happen. Yeah, but then I think you do get the whole put of the Moriarty taking over the Enterprise again. And like, I think the planet's going to climb in five hours. So it, it, there is a sense of urgency created, um, which I don't think is needed. But again, it's like the first, it's maybe the one thing you like, yeah. like the previous episode work as well. They could, you know, if Moriarty controls the ship, if they don't get control back in five hours, they're caught in the explosion and they die. So it kind of creates this yeah. kind of ticking time clock. But again, probably not needed because there's already some really good stuff here. I think it's probably even with TNG, there was it was very rare they would ever purely focus on what there always has to be some secondary kind of plot, B plot, or some kind of bigger dramatic hook. That I think, you know, sometimes Star Trek did get away from that, but even TNG kind of being the forerunner for kind of all this kind of next year of Star Trek would still sort of struggle, struggle against those restraints. I think you're right. I mean, there was always a sense that someone somewhere was going to get hurt. It might be one individual stuck on the holodeck could mm. get shot, or it might be that there's a planet spinning out of orbit. There was always, there was always something but it wasn't always necessarily the primary plot. Yeah. And as an audience member, you, you knew how worried you should be about it. But I mean, basically, they're always going to be yeah. okay. But you knew how worried you should be about if if Picard's going, oh, my God, this planet's going to blow up. It's like, oh, no, that we've got to worry about that. But if Data's just sort of saying, oh, uh, Captain, um, the planet could blow up in 10 hours. It's like, oh, I'm not worried about that. Let's, not, let's focus on something else. <laughs> Definitely. So let's go, go up the main plot then. What about... Um... Stephanie Beecham as Countess Bartholomew. What do you think of her performance? Oh, she's brilliant. I love her. I mean, it's like I I, I like yeah. her anyway. Um, but she brings such a nice lightness in the mm. middle of it. It's like because her 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 character is this you know this idea that like oh it's all such fun. This grand it's adventure. All, it's all such yeah, fun yeah. and larks and yeah exactly. Um, and I do think there's a there's she you know she has a scene with picard which is kind of reminiscent of the the pulaski uh yeah Moriarty scenes i think she has a scene with with picard later on in the episode um which is just it's a really nice scene between two very mm. good actors um and it's a really nice example of picard as as diplomat which of course we've got a lot more by this point you know because he is talking to a hologram and she doesn't have the same level of kind of, you know, uh, motivation and sentience that perhaps Moriarty does. But he is talking, you know, compassionately and um, sensitively with her and sort of trying to appeal to to her, uh, her, her, her better nature, as it were. Um, it's just it's a great little scene like that. And then all her stuff with with Barclay, mm. you know, she has a couple of little interactions yeah. with him. Um where it's it's almost a little bit flirty yeah it's like just ever so slight like she she's quite rambunctious and i think he kind of he sort of likes it a little bit he's like a little bit blushing almost almost like with if you've got like a sexy aunt it's that sort of like you know yeah thing where he's like feels a bit a little bit awkward but a little bit um uh, he's sort of like a little bit flattered it's just the, i think she just brings a real nice um 
counter to it. I mean, everyone's on they board are, They are. They are. And she, she, I think as well, because I was surprised, she, she comes in quite late into the story as well. She's almost, it's almost like the third act mm. before she reappears. So they kind of build up. She's got to be someone that, you know, Davis is so good as Moriarty. The, the, mm. His love of his life has got to be a great character. And, and they, they yes. build and build her up, and it could have easily fallen flat with a lesser performance. And a very it could have been a very cliche trite performance too, but I think... You know, when she's talking about going Africa and wearing trousers and doing this grand adventure and stuff, oh, it's God. lovely. And you absolutely believe that she is someone who has got enough wit and intelligence about her to kind of match Moriarty too. Maybe not quite at his level because he is like a super genius, but but course, yeah. enough that she's not someone that's going to um, bore him intellectually. So, you know, they, they, yeah. they do it. I would like maybe a little bit more of them together. You get it at the end when they're on the shuttle, which, which is lovely, but... You, you get enough of a character to see why Moriarty is enamoured with her, certainly. Yeah, you do. I think you're right as well. It, it needed to be a performance and a character that was sort of like big enough and confident enough. Uh, and there's huge confidence. And I think it's like, again, comparing to the earlier episode where perhaps they didn't dwell or they didn't spend as much time on certain elements as they could have done. Yeah, her whole thing where she's talking about Africa uh, with, 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 with Barclay. Um, it's sort of, it, it's, I mean, it's irrelevant really to, to what's going on, but the show at this point is confident enough that they can spend a couple of minutes yeah. on a little scene that just really establishes her. And like you say, it shows that we have to believe that Moriarty, you know, loves this yeah. woman enough to hold the ship hostage, to, to, to master plan this, this whole escapade. We have, we have to believe that. And so she has to make us believe it. And yeah, you're right. If it had just been some you know, some American TV day player doing a sort of a dodgy English accent, just looking a bit pretty and saying, oh, I love Moriarty. It, we wouldn't yeah. have bought it. It needed to be a Stephanie. It needed to be someone who basically could play the same role in, you know, a British TV straight adaptation of Sherlock Holmes, which is what she is. And yeah, basically well, they're both doing. That's what's really good about it is they, they are both, you could absolutely mm. see Countess Bartholomew and Moriarty in a Sherlock Holmes drama. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be great. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, ab- definitely. Yeah. Brent Spiner, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. I, I always find it interesting with Brent Spiner's performance because I, I like his over the top Holmes. But it's one of those things with Data as well. And particularly in the first episode, more on this one. But it's like there are moments when Data obviously shows emotion and you go, yeah. Eh. And when he when he's like mimic when he's like mimicking Holmes and I mean almost like when he's mimicking Holmes and doing a Holmes performance of emotion, you want but you get you more like he's copying it. You, yes. He's obviously copying what he thinks is Holmes' emotional reaction and stuff, and that's fine. But then Absolutely. sometimes in these episodes, as a lot of TNG, unfortunately, there's like, oh, I'm really surprised by this. Well, that's kind of an emotional reaction data there, but hey, <laughs> we'll let it slide. I know this. There's this whole idea, isn't it, that he's like. He's so sophisticated that he mimics emotion. But I think it's in the first episode, isn't it? When Geordie first walks out, he's kind of like, oh, Geordie, but where are you going? And then he sort of does a double take looking back into the holiday. And it's like, it's like, okay, that's brilliant. If he is programmed and and that's what we have to believe, he's been programmed to, to be that sophisticated. But in reality, as soon as he's not being observed, he should just stop. Yeah, like, he, should only, he should only do that. Yeah, if, yeah. if Geordie's still looking at him because yeah. so he looks human. It's like at that point he could just go, Geordie, no, stop, wait, come back. It's like, <laughs> but you know, these are the 
the concessions, the poetic license that we make, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think of the big twist then, that they're actually still on the holodeck for most of the episode? I love it. It's a sci-fi staple, this idea of the, you know, a simulation within a simulation with all that kind of stuff it's it's, mm. it's brilliant. dream within a dream kind um, of thing yeah, yeah exactly exactly you know they were doing inception before inception was incepted and and i really like it and i think that the show again i can't remember the first time i watched it i i'm i'm almost a hundred percent certain that i figured it out before data did um but again i think that is the nature of the show quite often you know, the characters on Star Trek will figure things out a little bit after you do. It's the same as with a detective story. You know, you want to let the audience, you give the audience enough clues to figure it out before the characters do so the audience feels clever. And I'm I'm pretty sure that I had figured it out before Data did. Because uh, again, I don't, it's a long time ago, I'm very old, but I don't have any memory of going, oh my God. But I think I have a memory of going, oh, that's clever. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what, because I'd forgot this episode, I had that oh, reaction. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's really cool. I love that. That's yeah. great. Because because you were generally, you you, you know it's not possible. You know. Exactly. and. and and uh, but what I really like is in how Picard uses that you he knowing you're on a hard day against Moriarty himself. That's that's really really cool. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And there's a moment that I really like as well when when Data basically turns to Picard and says, "Oh no, we're still on the holodeck," uh, and Picard's like, "Oh," but at that point, Geordi, holographic Geordi is still trying to help them figure it out because he he doesn't know he's a, he doesn't know he's a hologram uh, and so he's going oh are, are you sure we're on the holodeck that doesn't make it but he's not working against them he's just brainstorming the way that they always do in in, in moments like this uh, and then data's kind of like no no we're definitely on the holodeck and at that point suddenly um geordie becomes like a, a, a an npc and he just sort of he just sort of stops and he just kind of like stands there and it just as an aside i find that a fascinating insight into the holodeck because again the holodeck characters don't know they're on a holodeck and if you confront them with the fact they basically just uh, they sort of go mm-hmm and they don't react so the moment that that data and picard kind of step outside of of the the illusion of the holodeck and say right we're on the holodeck we need to get control of the ship geordie stops interacting with them because that's not part of his programming and then Picard's kind of like, okay, Geordie, we don't need you anymore. And he just walks off. Mm. And that's a brilliant little moment because, again, building this world of the holodeck. But I think it also contrasts really nicely with the concept of Moriarty as being so much more than a holodeck character. Yeah. But it is. It's a brilliant. And like you say, Picard then using that knowledge, you know, the sort of the the double bluff, basically, you know, playing the same trick back on Moriarty it's just it's it's lovely it's it's brilliant it is great and the fact that you uh, Moriarty gets his happy ending Moriarty and the Countess they, so they beam yeah they beam off the end off the onto the transporter room they get their shuttle off they go on their adventures of the galaxy and I'd have to watch that that'd be great oh I would love to see I mean I genuinely it's such a I think it's a really sweet ending and again a very compassionate ending it's like mm. you know i mean i think it, troy or whomever it is kind of says to picard you know well you base you basically gave moriarty what he wanted and mm. it's like well you, you kind of did you gave him the nearest comparison that you could this idea of isolating him and allowing him to sort of exist have this own virtue i do love the fact that 
like at the end of the episode, like they've gone through this whole adventure and Picard's kind of like, you know, we're in a simulation within a simulation, all this kind of stuff. And at the very end, for no real reason at all, Picard just kind of says, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe we're all in a simulation and then walks out. It's yeah. Like he just he just like head fucks poor Barclay, who's like left on his low kind of go, he's like, um, end program, end program. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> It's like, right, it's great, I'll just drop that big yeah. philosophical concept. I got, you know, I'm just walking out, shaking his hands with glee, like a party yeah. going, Am like, I still in the holiday? He's not going to sleep for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Barkley. Poor Barkley. It's, it's, it's good. It's a great episode. Any, any kind of final thoughts on Ship in the Bottle? Uh, well, I, you know what? I think my final thoughts, again, probably if, we, if we're going to touch on Picard at all, are that I did always want to see him return. There's, a, there's an element of. of TNG that I don't you know I never wanted to see sequels to every episode but mm. there were so many episodes that you kind of left it and you thought I wonder what happened next like I, I really wonder what happened next yeah and as a character Moriarty was definitely one where I was like I wonder what happened next oh definitely um, yeah uh, and I think you know perhaps we're gonna we're gonna answer that question to a degree yeah I, I mean, maybe Stephanie Beecham's gonna turn up as well who knows <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a feeling she won't be back. No, she, she won't be. That she might get fridged, unfortunately. Oh dear! Like Moriarty might turn up angry because she died in the virtual. Who knows? Who knows? Well, the thing is, we we, we spent like one hour and twenty minutes now talking about this, and it'll be in like a two second cameo, and that'll be it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but hey, it's fine. We got to talk about these episodes, and actually, they're really fun episodes too. So I'm quite happy we've done that, regardless no, of Moriarty's. Or maybe he'll be in five episodes. Who knows? He'll be like he'll be yeah. a recurring holographic character. <laughs> How often Picard take down the big bad? Who knows? Or working against Picard? Maybe that's it. Maybe Moriarty is the big villain of the show. And we just don't realise it. The- I mean, who knows? It's like I mean, I I don't like I don't like to theorise too much just from a trailer. I I think it'll be I think it'll be really good fun. I suspect he's going to be one episode. Yeah. Um. You know, may, maybe kind of like cliffhanger in one and then story in another, something like that. Um. Because I do think that that they they they're trying to be slightly more episodic. I think the prevailing theory is that they might be bringing him in to try and, you know, defeat Law, mm. um, which I don't think is a is a crazy idea. Yeah, I can um, work. you know, if they're having problems with you know Law, well, who do they know who's clever enough to beat Law? Someone who's clever enough to beat Data. Yeah, let's bring Moriarty back. I don't think that's a bad that's a bad concept. But who knows? They might just stumble across him. Maybe he's doing his own thing maybe he's managed to get um you know a mobile emitter who knows we should see <laughs> brilliant but it's been it's been great chatting these episodes with you and uh talking tng in general oh no thank you for having me on it's like like you say these are really fun episodes to watch really fun episodes to talk about and uh yeah i'll always wax lyrical about tng till the till the cows come home oh, lovely so- to the holographic cows come home <laughs> there you go there. so where can people find you online if they want to hear more about what you do uh, the best place is always to look on Twitter. That's basically my sort of social media outlook. And I am Four Ducks, which is F-O-R-D-U-C-K-S. Whatever I'm working on, I promote it there. I retweet it out there. Generally speaking, though, on the We Made This network, um, I turn up as a guest star on a few uh, guest stars. Sorry, that's grandiose <laughs> guest. <laughs> so I'm still thinking about uh, Daniel Davis. I turn up as uh, a guest voice on... Um, Various different things like the podcast 616 uh, and anything Star Trek, if people ask me. Uh, but also I'm a co-host on the You Have Been Watching British Sitcom podcast on the We Made This Network as well. So check that out. 
Brilliant, fab, and you can uh, find me on Twitter at Baz Green, and, and I'm also over. We made this on various podcasts, uh, including Dreaming Form, which is a Babble Five podcast I do, and a Tardis Crew, a Dot Two podcast I co-host with my son Ben. And Beyond Firepoint, you can find us by searching Beyond Firepoint on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook too. So thanks Rob for joining us on this discussion. Thank you very much for having me. Brilliant. And next time Jeff and I will be turning our attention to the other big returning Picard season three lore and looking at his four episodes across TNG in the build up to Picard season three. Until then, thanks for listening. Let's see what's out there. Engage.